0: Psalm 39, you have it there in your outline. You see the title. We're going to look tonight in this psalm, living in light of the brevity of life. Why don't we pray? Because we need the spirit of the living God to open our hearts and give us illumination, and then we'll study it together. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you as the mighty And the Almighty God, we at the same time come to you as our Father who is in heaven. We thank you that you have given your word, which is true. We have your word and we thank you for it. We thank you that you've given us your word in our own language, that we can read it, we can study it, we can memorize it, we can hide it in our hearts. And so we pray, O oh Lord, all of us, we pray for much power in the teaching and preaching of the Word of God that not only would we hear the Word, but we want to obey the Word. We want to we be changed. We want to put this truth into practice. So magnify your Son and your gospel in your name as we study the Word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Psalm 39, follow with me as, as I read all of it. It is for Jejithin, a psalm of David, beginning in verse 1. David said, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue, Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath, Selah. Surely every man walks as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. Remove your plague from me. Because of the oppression of your hand, I am perishing. With reproofs, you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Selah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you. A sojourner like all my fathers, turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. We've all at some point in our lives asked the following questions, haven't we? Why is life so short? Why is life so short? And and with that, what's the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Is there really meaning and significance to my life on earth? And and if there is, how shall I then live? And how do I use my time? How do we steward the time that God gives to every one of us? How should we view our lives? After all, we all acknowledge we are like grass, right? We're here today and gone tomorrow. We're like flowers flourishing with beauty and then fading so quickly. We're like the steam that comes up from the morning coffee cup, quickly seen, but then it's gone. We're like a, a little speck on the line of eternity. Christian, remember one of the devil's main strategies is to tempt you and to distract you so that you will be utterly consumed with this life. He wants you to be totally focused with the here and now, with the present world that can oftentimes seem deceitfully so, but it can seem satisfying. James Montgomery Boyce put it like this in his commentary on Psalm 39. He said, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they all conspire to keep us amused. By the way, do you know what the word amused means? Two Greek words. Muse means to think. Ah means not. The world, the flesh, and the devil want you to live in an unthinking way. They don't want you to think. They want you to be entertained so that we don't live for, we don't long for, we don't hunger for, we don't yearn for heaven. That's what the devil wants. Even if the devil could distract us so that we don't love and cherish Jesus. If we don't cherish his word, if we don't cherish the prayer times that we have with God, the devil would delight in derailing us from our proper perspective. He would love to distract. You know, the devil cannot destroy your soul. He can't do that. But if he can distract you to death and make you useless for the kingdom of God, he would love, love to do that. Psalm 39 is a remarkable psalm that really fits into the themes that I have just mentioned. David wrote it. We see it from the title of Psalm 39. He wrote it probably older in his life, and he wrote it with a man by the name of Jeduthin. Now, Jeduthin, from the title, we know that was he was one of the musicians that was appointed by David to lead worship in the tabernacle in Jerusalem, First Chronicles chapter 16 tells us that, verses 41 and 42. He was like the worship leader. Jeduthin was like the, the, the man who was leading with the trumpets and the cymbals and gathering the choir together. That's Jeduthin's role. This was a hymn that David wrote that was so impactful to David that he said, Jeduthin, I want you to put this to music and we want to sing it for temple tabernacle worship when the congregation gathers. Let me see if I can pull together some of the themes that we can find in the setting here in the psalm. In your outline, you see it there. David has sinned in verse 8. He knows the hand of God is heavy upon him in verse 10. He knows that there is an appointed end, a death date for him, according to verse 4. And, and yet David knows that in his life, because of his sin, he's receiving discipline from God, verse 11. And he feels like, like he's a stranger, like he's an alien in this world, according to verse 11 and 12. And he realizes how brief, how transient he is. time, time. Time is precious. Maybe you've heard that adage, time once spent cannot be regained. You cannot save time. You cannot hoard time. It must be spent well. Psalm 39, I think, is David biblically counseling his own soul. He's counseling his own soul when he realizes, I need to live a certain way because my life is a mere breath. I'm going to be gone quickly. He's going to say it two times in verse 5 and in verse 11. I'm a breath. One commentator is so good. He said, read the psalm frequently. Read it frequently. It will bring blessing to your heart and your life. Maybe good counsel for all of us. We're tempted to just sort of take advantage of time and take advantage of the days and assume that tomorrow's gonna come and we assume next week and next year and the next decade's gonna come and we just kind of take it for granted. But read the psalm with sobriety. Read it with frequency. Because our life is brief, and because we find meaning and purpose in God, I want to give you three, three ways that we ought to live from the psalm. Number one, you see it there, we ought to protect your mouth. Number two, ponder your brevity. Number three, prioritize your hope. Let's look at the beginning, verses one to three, protect your your mouth. Now, we we all understand this, right? We all know the danger of speaking too rashly. We've all been there when we speak too rashly. And it's almost like in verses 1 to 3, David is saying, I just need to be quiet. I just need to be quiet. And yet there's trouble all around him. And there's uncertainties of life. And his enemies are swirling around him. And yet David is grappling with life and meaning and purpose and significance. But Verses 1 to 3, David's like, I'm just going to be silent. I'm just not going to say anything at all. I'm going to put a muzzle over my mouth. See that in verse 1? I'm going to guard my ways because I don't want to sin with my tongue. So I'm just going to guard my mouth like with a muzzle. You've got the image in your mind, the muzzle. But there's a problem. You do that, verse 2, you're mute, you're silent, you refrain even from good when you don't talk. Verse 2, my sorrow grew worse. And verse 3, there's a problem with that. As you hold it in, as you bottle it up, as you keep it in, he becomes exasperated. If you look at verse 3, it's fascinating in the Hebrew. These are all phrases for anger. Verse 3, My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. David is holding it in. He doesn't want to speak. He's bottling it up. He knows his enemies are out there. He doesn't want them to take his words and use it against him. He's like, I'm just not going to talk at all. But on the inside, he's becoming a mess. He's becoming a mess. He tried to be silent, but it didn't work. The more he silently reflected on the situation, the more he became exasperated. His whole being was aflame. But we need balance here, don't we? Because Proverbs 17, verse 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Maybe David was thinking, I'm just going to not talk and that'll make things fine. But he couldn't. He knew he had to express what was going on. Look at the end of verse 3. Then I finally spoke with my tongue. You know what he's going to do? David says, I've got to speak. I can't bottle it up anymore. I can't just be silent anymore about what's going on in my life. You know what he does? He turns to the Lord in prayer. And that's exactly the lesson that you and I need to hear as well. You can't keep it in. You can't bottle it all in. It's the same counsel that we read in Philippians chapter 4. I think Hezekiah mentioned it earlier. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. David begins verses 1 to 3, by acknowledging, you got to protect your mouth. But there's times when you say, i, I got to let it out. I have to speak. And he went to the right place. You go to the Lord. Go to the Lord in prayer. And what does he do? If you look in your Bible at verses 4 to 6, they're all prayers. These are all prayers. And in verses 4 to 6, David is, in your outline, number two, teaching us you need to ponder your brevity. Not only protect your mouth, guard what you say, go to the Lord in prayer, but number two, ponder your brevity. Oh, this is a good lesson for us. It's like David turns to God and he prays and he says, Lord, I want to know my end. I want to know the extent of my days. I want to know how transient I am. I want to know that my days are like hand breaths. My life is nothing. My life is a mere Breath. Selah. Think about that. Ponder that. It's really nothing new. The Bible teaches that. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 3. Solomon said, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good there is for the sons of men to do under the heaven under the few years of their life. Just a few years, Solomon said. Moses wrote it in Psalm 90. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due strength, 80 years. But their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Why is it good for you and me to think about death? Why is it good for you and me to come to the Lord in prayer and ponder our end? Just a couple of thoughts briefly, because your death is certain. Unless the Lord returns first, your death is certain. Second of all, life is short, it's short. Third, we need to consider death because we want to live for Christ and prove our salvation. Or the words of Paul, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.14. We we need to ponder the, the, the nearness of death because all earthiness is fading. All earthiness is fading. It's all fading quickly. We need to ponder death. Because eternity is worth it. Eternity is worth it. It'll be too late in eternity to cross the chasm and go from one to the other. You know, we ought to ask ourselves this very simple question. Just ponder this. Maybe as you're driving home tonight, you can ask your children or you could ask a friend or as you're going to bed tonight, ask this question. Do I honor God every minute of my day? And how can I grow? How can I increase in glorifying God every minute of my day? From the minute we rise in the morning to the minute we lay down in bed to go to sleep at night. Now, notice how David prays. Look in your Bible at verse four. These are prayers. David has held it all in. He's bottled it up. He says, I can't handle anymore. I got to go to God in prayer. And now verse four, Lord, make me to know my end. Show me what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. My end is near. I need to know that. I'm brief. The end is coming. Verse 5, behold, again, still praying, you're still praying to God. Verse 5, behold, you, Lord, you have made my days as. Interesting word. You have hand breadth in your Bible, right? Hand breadth. In the book of Jeremiah, it refers to your four fingers, probably two to three inches. That, 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 that's my life. It, it's short, small, it's brief, it's tiny. That's my life. My, my life, my days are like hand breaths and my lifetime is like nothing in your sight. End of verse five. Surely every man at his very best is a mere breath. law. Think, ponder, pause. Did you see the end of verse five? Every man is a mere breath. You might know the word Meaningless. It's the key word of the book of Ecclesiastes. It occurs 36 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, right? It's like a chasing after the wind. What's the point of Ecclesiastes? Man is unable to find any meaning and fulfillment in life apart from God. And if you're trying to live life apart from God, guess what? All of your pursuits are meaningless. That's what Solomon says. You could pursue pleasure, you could pursue control, power, prestige, all the things the world has to offer. But if God is not the one that you pursue, if you're trying to find fulfillment without God, that solo quest will always end in vanity and futility or meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. Not only in verse 5 here is it a temporal breath, our life is short, it's a breath, but existential meaning, purpose of life. It's, It's meaningless without God. We're short, we're brief, we're vain, we're meaningless when we try to find purpose without God. What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? My marriage, my schooling, my job, my hobbies, my education, your ho- your, your your time management—all the things that you and I do—what's the purpose of it all? All of life's pursuits will inevitably lead to frustration and woe without God. Without God, it doesn't matter what it is. It will lead to frustration and woe without God. Nothing can fill the void in man's life but God. Because God made you. And he made you to be a worshiper of him. To find your joy and your significance and your purpose in him. The end is near. My life is short. Ponder that. Say law. end of verse five. Now look at verse six. He continues. It's almost like David prays and he says, I know I was made for something else. Verse six, surely every man walks around like a phantom. ESV, you have shadow. What does that mean? The Hebrew idea means your human importance is totally dwarfed in comparison with God. Our whole human existence is dwarfed with the majesty and the bigness and the glory and the greatness of God. We're we're like a shadow and God is the substance. Verse six, surely men make an uproar for nothing. Anybody ever have done that before? Why, Why are you getting so worked up right now? Why are you so stressed out? Why is everybody getting all uptight? Man is is bustling about, but in vain. Man is making an uproar for nothing. I mean, we, we get uptight, we get worried, we get stressed out, we get anxious. Sin. For nothing. That's what it's talking about here. We make an uproar for nothing, verse 6. He amasses riches, and he doesn't even know who's going to gather them when we die. So, ponder ponder this for a minute, just to summarize this point. You and I are brief. And yet, at the same time, you and I are invincible until God is finished with you and your work on earth. You and I must take from all of this, learning from David that we ought to resist and reject earthly mindedness. We are not to hoard the things of this world, but we are to store up treasures in heaven. And you know what, church family, because we are so brief, We want to use every moment well for the glory of God. It's been well said by one commentator. Listen to this. Time is a very strange commodity, isn't it? You can't save it. You can't retrieve it. You can't relive it. You can't stretch it. You can't borrow it. You can't loan it. You can't stop it. You can't store it. You can only use it or lose it. So, how do you use your time? The brief, brief, brief time that we have. We know James 4, our life is a vapor. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We understand these truths from the Bible, but the question for all of us to realize is this: ponder your brevity. How am I, how are you using your time? There's an amazing, an amazing shift that happens in verse 7. In verse 7, David has bottled in his emotions, verses 1 to 3. He doesn't want to speak. He doesn't want the enemies to use what he would say against him. So he turns to God in prayer. Lord, show me how futile life is without you. Show me how brief I am. Show me how transient I am. Verse 7. So now, Lord, for what do I wait? What what, what am I doing all this for? What what am I waiting for? It's a what question. Look at the end of verse 7. The what question gets a who answer. What in the world am I here for? I mean, my life is short. My life is brief. My life is, is vanity apart from God. So what am I doing here? Answer, verse 7b, my hope is in you. That's the answer. That's the answer. Where do you find meaning in life? How do you live the brief life on earth? Hope in God. Trust and rely and cling to God. Look, this, this is truth. You could shout from the rooftops to anybody alive. Looking for meaning, looking for purpose, looking for uh, significance in life, looking for their place in life. You can say, I don't know all the circumstances of your life, but I know the purpose of your life. You need to find your hope in God. God. You need to trust in the Lord. Verses 7 to 13. How do you do that? Look in your outline number three. You need to prioritize your hope. So, okay, how do we do that? In in affliction, in confusion, when you're when you're struggling through life. And by the way, in these verses, David is struggling. These are this isn't like the easiest time in David's life. He's going through difficulty. So What do we do? How do you prioritize hope in God while going through difficulty in life? Number one, you see it there in your outline. Number one, actively wait on God. Verse seven, my hope is in you. What does that word mean, hope? It means I will actively anchor my trust and all of my reliance on God. Don't don't think wait in our English kind of idea. I'm just going to be passive and sort of wait for God to take action. No, no, no. Waiting in the Hebrew is you're aggressively, you're actively pursuing God. And it's not like trying God. You're putting all of your confidence in him. That's what it means. My hope is in you. I am anchoring all that I have in you, O Lord. Number two, what do we do when you prioritize your hope regularly, constantly, even daily? We must confess our sin. Look at verse eight deliver me from all my transgressions. I mean, David's not going through like the perfect time of life here. He says, Lord, deliver me from my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. Verse nine, I become mute. I don't open my mouth because it is you who have done it. He realizes the hand of God working in his life. Verse 10, remove your plague from me. I mean, do you hear the emotion of his prayer? He feels like God is striking him. That's the Hebrew idea here. The plague means God is like striking him. God is beating him. Remove it, he says. Because of the oppression, uh, the opposition of your hand, I'm, I'm perishing. Oh, Lord, forgive my transgressions. Forgive me for where I have sinned in life. As I mentioned last week, and we've mentioned in previous weeks, church family, we always have a place to go. A true believer can go to the throne of grace. We find the door wide open. And we find a Savior who has bled and a Savior who has died and hands that are calling you to come and come again and come again and then come again if you need to the same day. He prays for you. He forgives you. He intercedes for you. He knows you. He is one who calls us, confess your sin. Another way that we can prioritize our hope, if you look in your outline, is to joyfully welcome the discipline of God. We talked about this again last week in Psalm 38, but look at verse 11. Notice what David does. With reproofs, you chasten a man for iniquity. Lord, you're chastening me. You're disciplining me. Maybe in your mind, you're cross-referencing Hebrews 12. The Lord disciplines those whom he loves, right? And he scourges everyone whom he calls a child, his son. And why does God discipline us? Why does he do that? So that we will share in his holiness. That's what God's doing. It's not a meaningless discipline. The discipline of God, can I give you four words? When God disciplines his people, when we sin and when we're being Disciplined from the Lord, it's always number one, loving. Doesn't mean it's always pleasant, it's loving. Number two, it's good. It's good. The discipline of God is good. Psalm 119 It is good for me that I was afflicted. It is good. It's loving, it's good. Third, the discipline of God is measured. I mean, God doesn't just crush you the moment you sin. He could, but it's a measured discipline. It's very measured, it's controlled. Fourth, the discipline of God is purposeful. Why does he discipline? To wean you and me off of self-reliance so that we will cling to him even tighter and share in his holiness. And then, if you look at the end of verse 11, how do we prioritize our hope? Well, we we need to wait on God. Yes, we confess our sin. We welcome God's discipline. And your outline, number four, we must frequently ponder my brevity, life's brevity. Here he is again, verse 11. Surely every man is a mere breath breath. And then finally, verses 12 and 13, what do you do to anchor your trust in God? What do you do to prioritize hope? You persevere in prayer. Verse 12, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give here to my cry. Don't be silent at my tears. I am a stranger with you. He's not saying I'm a stranger from you. He's not. He's not saying I'm distant from God. He says in the world in which I live, I'm with you, God, and I feel like an alien here. Turn away your gaze that I may smile again. Why? Because he knows he's been disciplined. He knows he's gone through hard times. These are lessons for us so that we can live well in light of the brevity of life. So many great quotes that we could talk about regarding using our time well. Using our time well. John Blanchard said to waste time is to squander a gift from God. Another author said time waits for no one. So use it well. Richard Baxter said, "Spend your time as you would hear of it in the day of judgment." I love the Puritan counsel from Thomas Brooks. "Oh, your 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 life is short." He said, "Your life is short. Remember, Christian, you have number 1, souls to save. Number 2, a race to run." You have a heaven to win, you have afflictions to bear, and you have a generation to serve. What did he say? I'll say it again. Number one, you have souls to save. Why are we here? We we want to save souls for the glory of God. Number two, you have a race to run. God has marked out the race for you. He's marked out the path for you. So fix your eyes upon Jesus. Get rid of all the sin that entangles you, every encumbrance that could hinder you, and run. Number three, you have a heaven to win. You have a heaven to win. Oh, it's been won and accomplished by Christ, but you want to go to the finish line, and you want to persevere well. Fourth, remember, you have afflictions to bear, afflictions to bear, and then a generation to serve. You know, it's not so much the amount of time. Jesus' public ministry was three years. But in that three years, he obeyed the, well, in his 33 years, he obeyed the law perfectly. He did that perfectly for us. And he suffered and he bled and he died for us. We think about using our time well. Let me just end by giving you just very quickly as we close a couple of verses from Galatians. Galatians 2:16 Nevertheless, we know that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say and Galatians 5 1, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. So keep standing firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So, what, what does Paul want you to do? He wants you to have faith working through love. How does Paul want you and me to use our time? He says, through love, serve one another. What does he say in Galatians 5, 16? Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In Galatians 6, he says in verse 7, Whatever a man sows, this he will reap. We read in verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. So while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Time is short. Our lives are brief. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So am I living every minute for the glory of God? And, and reflecting on that, how can I improve? How can I improve so that I can be more useful to God for His glory in stewarding the time well that He gives to all of us. Amen? Amen. Father, thank You for the psalm. Thank You for the needed reminder of the brevity of life, the duty to pray, the need to anchor our hope in the living God. Oh God, would You help us? Now, having been filled with the word, help us to be prepared to speak to you in prayer with the brethren. Help us to use the time well that you have given to us by grace, that we would be good stewards of it for your glory.